This is the CT Startup Podcast, an inside perspective on the startup ecosystem in the great state of Connecticut. I am one of your hosts, Dave Menard. I'm here today with Eric Francis, Michael Kaufman, and we're coming to you not so live from our headquarters in New Haven, the Happiness Lab, where everybody's happy all the time. It's better than Disney World. <laughs> yeah. So today, uh, we wanted to start with a few announcements. First of all, we, we did not put out a recording last week. Uh, admittedly, the podcast is still young and we're working out summer schedules. Uh, but we expect to be, uh, back up and running with this podcast and we'll continue to, uh, provide you with, uh, quality information and entertainment going forward. Uh, well, information anyways. <laughs> and, uh, the other thing is that we're without our co-host James McLaughlin today, our master of the one-line zingers. Uh, James has recently switched jobs. Uh, he, he is no longer with myself at Martha Kalina. He's, he's gone in-house. Um, and, uh, he may be in or, in or out of the next few podcasts, but we expect him to still be with us long term. Hopefully we'll get him to give us a little segment on his new position and the differences between, uh, working with a startup as in-house counsel and working with a startup as a full-time lawyer. So we wanted to pass that on. Gentlemen, what are our topics of the week? So, yeah, so I, um, you know, obviously we, we missed the past couple of weeks, but, um, something that I've just kept on seeing on kind of national news, uh, it'd be hard pressed for somebody not to kind of hear about this is definitely what's happening with Uber in, uh, New York. So, um, admittedly, I've actually never used Uber. I don't even have the app on my phone. Um, I was, it seems like even the Uber rides for me would still be like 25 minutes and they're probably pretty <laughs> expensive, uh, for anywhere that I'd be going. But, um, but yeah, so it seems like Uber is kind of um, just playing the whole politics game in New York right now, uh, trying to kind of fight the uh, the whole taxi regime that's yeah, going on. I, I I was looking at this road I saw they they challenged the New York mayor to a debate. <laughs> uh, not normally your uh, normal way of fighting a, a regulated no. industry, but. <laughs> I mean, they've been dealing with these issues for years now. I mean, anywhere they go, they've been fighting it. And they, they've been coming out on top for the most part. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out in New York. Yeah, and in South Africa and Canada. I guess they got a new challenge Paris. in San Francisco, which is their hometown. So yeah. it's, uh, it, you know, it, it it's sort of the hallmark of today's technology yeah. companies, though, right? If you come up with something that is inherently disruptive to an industry like say the taxi industry which is regulated in every state and regulated in every other foreign jurisdiction you're going to go into uh and what you do is you provide an unregulated alternative yeah and you're, you're naturally going you you can't create them all like that and not have a really big legal budget stored up yeah and it's, it's also interesting just to see because again it's at the end of the day it's it's politics um you know obviously the uh taxi um Regime, what do you want to, you know, uh, movement in uh, all these cities? They, they definitely donate heavily to politicians. Um, you even see, I know, uh, Hillary Clinton kind of took it up where she has issue with the fact that they're all contractors and not necessarily paid employees mm -hmm. and everything. So it's just, um, when it starts to be seeping into kind of the politics of, of, um, America, it's always, it's, we're going to obviously see more of it. Um, another thing that I always, it's just kind of funny to see the uberfication of everything. Um, you know, when investors talk about it, I know uh, I listened to Gary Vaynerchuk's podcast and he's always talking about those types of, you know, when you want a service on demand, basically, and uh, when it gets uh, very disruptive. And obviously you're seeing a lot of new names, Fuber and some of these other kind of just add Uber at the end of a, a word now and you can basically try to create a company. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, I, I'm just Google News. I just I just typed in Uber. We're looking at uh, 
the Uber's trying to be outed. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, St. Louis is trying to out Uber right now. Uh, now they're having issues uh, and roadblocks in Asia. Uh, the Hampton is the Hamptons are trying to block them. Uh, UK lawsuit may force Ubers to treat uh, drivers as employees. Broward County threatens to file lawsuit against Uber. Uh, Toronto cab drivers follow action lawsuit against Uber. And these are all within the past five days. Uh, yeah. So maybe maybe they need some more in-house. <laughs> <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it one thing where like once you start getting sued, you're, you're on the right path or when people are starting to get really mad at you and stuff you like that? You can make you're the, the right argument path. for that. You can make the <laughs> argument for that, sure. I mean, I think, and I think Uber has a, a definitely some cash uh, piled up since their, uh, you know, their value is pretty. Uh, Eighty billion, is that correct? Eighty billion. I was going to say forty billion, but I think. Let's... <laughs> I mean, geez, if they if they just made another funding round at that, I mean, it's always kind of funny to to because uh, again, I listen to Gary Vaynerchuk and he has his Vayner RSC fund, and he talks about on this podcast where he could have gotten in on Uber with a twenty five thousand dollar investment. And he's like, that would have netted me $700 million. And he goes, it's all right. You know, I got it on the second or third round and it's still making me a couple hundred million dollars <laughs> on that. But imagine being able to invest in Uber at, you know, 25K right at the, right at the beginning. Yeah, no, that would be. I mean, I, I would need 25K, but <laughs> I would find well, it. In my generation, is always imagine if you had invested in Microsoft and Apple when they first. Or, or even Google. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Well, the interesting <laughs> is Gary was good friends with the, the founder, yeah. Travis, yeah. and he turned him down, I think, two times in a row yeah. uh, to get involved. Uh, so Yeah, and it's, it's actually, there's always, a, I listened to another podcast with Tim Ferriss and uh, Chris Saka, and he was just saying how, uh, how, um, Chris Saka had uh, Travis over his house one day for, um, for you know, for Christmas or something like that. Obviously, Travis was kind of a loner, but he was playing his dad, uh, Chris Saka's dad, and we tennis. And what happened was that Chris Saka's dad was like, he's really into it, so he's you know killing it, whatever. And so you know, Travis is a little hungover, and he's playing his father, and his father's kind of beating him, and then Travis just you know keeps winning, keeps winning, keeps winning. And at the end of it, he basically said, you know, I had to admit, you know, like. I'm ranked number one or second in the world or number one in the world in Wii tennis. And he was just like, yeah. And like, that's like, and like, that's what Chris Sock was saying is that that's the type of guy is if he puts his eyes on something, he's going to get it. I mean, just Wii tennis, just about, just think about the amount of work you need to put into Wii tennis to be number one in the world. <laughs> I mean, that's it. So we're just that good. On Bloomberg the other day, uh, they did an interview with uh, Greylock and everything, and they were talking about could Uber one day be worth uh, upwards of $500 billion? It'll be interesting. I, you know what? I still think the ruling is out, right? The the jury is out. Literally, yeah. Literally, <laughs> in many states, the jury is out. Yes. Uh, but I mean, it's true because it is a very highly regulated industry, and there are serious concerns there. There was an article recently, and I forgive me for not uh, remembering exactly where it was, but uh, the article was about an Uber driver and what it took to make a living being an Uber driver. And, you know, what that paid family and so on and so forth. And, you know, there are, there are compensation concerns. Uh, there's, there's sort of the inherent switch in American, uh, the economy to switch people from being full-time employees to being these freelance contractors. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, what, what do they call it? The gig economy. Yeah. If you're part of the gig economy, it can be a very rough way to make a living once you're beyond your 20s. You know, it's, it's once you're beyond uh, when you're sort of settled down and stable and maybe have kids or a house or a mortgage or whatever, it presents a problem. And so how do we make the, the gig economy uh, worthwhile to everybody? And, uh, I, and I definitely think there is a place for the gig economy. I, um, 
like there's a transition phase, right? You know, when you're in college, you can play a couple different kind of roles. You can kind of hustle a little bit and everything. So I think there's going to be definitely a place for the Uberfication, you know, the on on demand service um, for anything. I mean, I know Gator Check says the next person does it for dry cleaning. Just dry. If you just talk about dry cleaning, <laughs> just revolutionize that. Um, so there's this guy. I saw this article about a um, uh, an Uber driver that also made jewelry. Um, so he actually made he, he like he was he was a jeweler, made jewelry, and he he was you know in his in his early twenties or whatever. When you're an Uber driver, sometimes you make relationships, you see the same people over and over again like that. And he basically had his portfolio slash some of his jewelry like in the car with him. So that, so he would just start talking to people, and they'd be like, "Oh, so what do you do?" Like, "Well, this is you know what I do part time." Like, "What do you do full time?" And he goes, "Oh, I'm a jeweler." They'd be like, what are you talking about? And then he'd be like, yeah, you know, here's some of the jewelry that I make. And he start, he's, he made like $300,000 in sales like in one year. What? So just from the jewelry. So it was like, he was like, I was using it to meet people. That's how I met people was that I was being paid to drive their car, you know, drive them. But then inherently we have the conversation and it comes up. That's interesting. Which, which is actually, I mean, that's a, that's a very clever way to get your marketing paid for. <laughs> <laughs> it probably also pisses off about half the people you're driving yeah, around. Yeah. But well, no, well, no. Trying to sell me earrings, dude. My ears aren't pierced. Well, no. That's what he's saying is that he was just like, it, as if it came up in conversation and they were interested, we went, we went down that road. If they weren't, it was what it was. Because you know, obviously, he didn't want his like, you know, his Uber rating to go down or whatever. I, I'm fascinated by by this gig economy and, and where this is going. I think there are a lot of sort of meta discussions mm-hmm. about a lot of companies that use that use people to do certain things at a certain time, as well as what companies actually achieve. One article I read recently from a uh, from an economics professor was was an argument that most technology companies, the ones that we especially celebrate, are not actually uh, creating value. There's two ways to look at value, right? You can create it or you can capture it. And that most of what these companies are doing are capturing value. And it went as far back as looking at the way that we've uh, changed the way that music works. And it's not that music isn't being sold. And it's not that music isn't being sold by song or, or that artists aren't able to make money. It's that the way that the value is captured has changed. And not so much, you know, they changed the medium, but the medium wasn't an innovation that created value. It was an mm-hmm. innovation that captured the value differently. You could look at Uber the same way. Right. Because there's taxi services out there. They're making money. This changes the way that the money is captured and allows you to put money in different people's hands as opposed to where the taxis had it before. Um, and it's, it's interesting, right? Cause then you sort of have this discussion about whether or not you're, are we creating value? Are we changing how value is captured? Is it just me taking it from somebody else? Um, using my new medium or my new idea or my thought? Or am I creating something new for the economy that they haven't had before? Um, and in most cases, probably a combination of both. I think of the, uh, I saw this week that the company Nest just released, uh, their new smoke detector. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a couple in my home. They're fantastic. And they connect with the thermostat and they send me email updates and all that. And it's also a carbon monoxide protect, uh, detector and a, and it does a few other types of alerts. Um, it can also detect when somebody's home and turn on my air conditioning for me and so on. Uh, in some ways, that's creating something new. It, it, it's creating value, right? It's a new object that doesn't, but it also takes, it's also doing something old at the same time and taking money away from companies that have previously just been smoke detector companies, like a Honeywell kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it, that debate between creating and capturing value, I think, is one that is, is worth looking at. It's worth studying what, how, you know, if you're starting up a new company, what is my company actually achieving? And, how does that influence the way that we run it or try to use it? So, just a, just, just sort of a meta example. The um, bef- 
the other thing I wanted to mention um, before we get on to the interview was Amazon Launchpad. So this is, I think, an important development that came out this past week. Uh, Amazon has created a new web page called Amazon Launchpad, and it's also part of the Amazon homepage. You can log on to it from there. What it is is it's Amazon supporting startup companies. Uh, it specifically sells products from startup companies that they found that they've either these companies have either applied to Amazon and you can apply right on the Amazon Launchpad homepage, or that they found through Indiegogo. They have an Indiegogo page uh, and so on. And so now users can try to find. It's another way to find startup companies, but it's curated by Amazon. Oh, this is terrible. I'm looking at some of this stuff right now. <laughs> My credit card is slowly coming out of my pocket. I don't need any of it. Yeah, I love. The way I want it all. I love the way it looks. And it says, uh, you know, we curate the cutting edge so you can discover unexpected and fresh new products from today's brightest startups. And the fact is, is this is what I think most customers want, right? They don't want to invest in Kickstarter mm-hmm. because they, you know, there's certain... You art, wait a year. They, they just wait want, the, a year they and want the product. And there's no guarantee. Yeah. Right. right. I mean, I've literally, I kickstarted something... Oh man, a year and a half ago, and I'm still getting updates like, "Hey, we're still around, we're still working on it," but the timeline got pushed back another three months, and this is what yeah. it is every three I've, months. I've really, when it comes to Kickstarters, I've really almost always, always done, almost always done um, books or some sort of like art kind yeah. of project where it's, it's almost some, a guarantee. Where because it's like, listen, we I know the time frame, time frame. Like it's going to be, we're going to release it here. We just need you, and it's more or less commun- curating the community. Um, but when it comes to products, I mean, I'm an impatient, um, you know, purchaser too. So it's just, let me get it. What, what, how long does it take to ship? You yeah. know, kind of a thing. And here you have Amazon. So a well known company, uh, curating specific products for your, uh, yeah. you know, so instead of going to Kickstarter Indiegogo, I might go onto Amazon and, and say, Oh, look, let's see, let's see what Amazon has picked out as being something worthwhile. And you could buy now with Amazon Prime where I'll have it in less than 48 hours on oh. my doorstep. Uh, you probably order it right through your Echo. You're probably right, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, actually, and it's kind of interesting too is that they use the the term launchpad, um, just because the whole lean launch, lean launchpad, kind of the whole that whole thing where it's almost it. If if it's done right, I would assume that it's also like a customer discovery portal where people can put up their products and just see how many people are going to really really go to it. And they already, I, I count at least two hundred and thirty products already under electronics. That they Jeez. put on here, um, and they have all the other categories like normal, uh, normally Amazon. Uh, yes. Body, body, food, uh, gadgets, and house. Yeah, and then they also have some uh, featured collections under health and fitness connected products yeah. and funded on Indiegogo. Actually, yeah. it's just fascinating. Uh, new and newer and interesting ways to find companies that are out there and see what they're creating and find out if they're uh, creating value or uh, capturing value. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, yeah. But I think uh, I think this will come up again in our discussion. Isn't, isn't that kind of like the same the same conversation that people have with the finance industry, where there are like people that you know dabble in stocks and everything? It's like you're really not creating any value. You're just kind of taking taking value. Is that well, that's right. I mean, you're 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 putting money into a market and then and then you know betting on a company, yeah. increasing its. And then the money just continues to usually do funnel through that market, yeah. which in theory makes it good for other companies who then have access to capital. But, uh, but in, you know, in some ways it's not actually creating anything new or tangible. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so our, uh, speaking of creating something new and tangible, our guest interview is Genius Box. 
Genius Box is a delivery box or uh, gift box subscription that contains what is called STEM learning. Yep, STEM activities. STEM activities. And you guys are going to have to tell me about this one. STEM is science, technology, technology, engineering, and math. And then there's another one. It's STEAM, which is, I should know this. Um, Especially since you brought it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> science, <laughs> technology, engineering, arts, and math, maybe, or um, maybe something else. But there's definitely a STEAM and a STEM. I'd and, and the whole goal of the Genius Box is to help children ages around 8 to 11, I believe. Yeah, third to sixth grade, I believe. Yeah. Um, learn about, uh, these tech, you know, these, uh, sciences and, uh, technologies and do projects in their own home. And they get a project every month, has a new theme around it, can be done with children and parents, and it's, uh, relatively easy to do, but it's also a good learning project and fun. So they wanted to do this as a subscription box service to help teach young children at home. So I think this was a very interesting idea and an interesting interview. We'll catch you on the other side. So ladies, thank you for coming in. So today on the podcast, we have Kate Pippa and Shivangi Shah from Genius Box. How are you? We're good. Thank you for having us. And slight correction, it's Pippa. Pipa. Pipa, okay. See, I, see, you, you'd figure it out and get your name oh. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You are not the first person we've done that to. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. No worries. All right. Doing well. Yeah. <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little bit about your company? Yeah, sure. So Shivangi and I founded Genius Box when we were both undergraduates at Northeastern University uh, once a month, we deliver a monthly box of awesome through the mail. We focus each box on a STEM topic, so that is science, technology, engineering, and math. And we provide different activities and experiments through the box, right in the box with all the items needed to further discover this topic. And we gear it towards 8 to 11-year-olds. Yeah, we really try to um, provide a lot of hands-on discovery and curiosity for 8 to 11 years because that's something we really value, and that's kind of the aim of Genius Box to really provide that. So 8 to 11-year-olds, what, what grade is that? I, I'm, like, horrible when it comes to, like, ages. I just know grades. It's about, like, four, fourth to sixth grade. Fourth to sixth? Even, like, okay. you can leave it to third grade as well. Okay. So yeah, a, a, sus- a subscription box service. Yes. And give us an example of what's been in a, a past box. So what we've done, and we've done a lot of different topics, and the first box we actually launched in December was Kaleidoscope. So it was really about breaking down what a kaleidoscope is, talking about light refraction and reflection, and like going through the mechanics of it. Um, and what we really try to do is really provide a real-world application to the STEM topics. So yes, you're learning where kaleidoscope is, but how do you use it? Why is it fun? What's the history behind it? And that's kind of what we do for all of our boxes. So we've done a gravity box where we talk about different forces. Um, we've done a magnets box where, we, you know, you try to build your own compass. And uh, our last box was all about the sun. So we did a lot of, like, UV beads and radiation. So it's things like that. And, we, again, like we try to provide hands-on discovery and curiosity and pro- uh, really connect it to the world. That's amazing. And uh, how do you come up with all these ideas for each box? It's everything from, like, what we really want to be kind of focusing on, like, things we loved as children to 
you know, whatever the best activities we can find. Like, it all kind of varies from month to month. And we want to provide topics that kids are a little familiar with, but not as familiar with. Because, again, we want to provide something that's unique and that you're maybe not going to be learning at school at that age. Um, and if we can break down concepts for that, you know, upper elementary school, we want to really provide that as well. Nice. So what's the history behind this? So you, you said you met at school or you, I mean, how, how did that go down? So Kate and I have known each other since I was a freshman in, she's like, I don't know, what were you, a junior? Probably. I think. Yeah. I think so, yeah. So my freshman Five year. Five-year school. So yeah. Four years. <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> yeah. But we've, we knew each other for a few years and then... Um, Kate's senior year, she really wanted to do the, our entrepreneurs club startup challenge called the Husky okay. startup challenge. And she kind of roped me in and we had an, this idea of doing a subscription box service, but we didn't really know what we were going to focus on. And through that process of going through these boot camps and talking to all these other kids, you know, just students really building a business, we can't, you know, genius box kind of grew out of that. So, so you knew you wanted to go with the subscription box, like business model. Yes. That, like we were, you, you basically picked the business model and then structured it around that, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Actually, before the current version of Genius Box, we pivoted. Yeah. We were very much wanting to provide a social impact something, and we're thinking about different causes we could maybe showcase or or teach more about through this type of model, but then we. We're thinking about when we were younger and we didn't really have all these iPads or tablets, phones, video games. We had some video games, but not to the extent of today. We would actually just go outside and play and discover things and learn by being outside and experimenting. So we were talking about how we used to make explosions with Mentos and Diet Coke and how those are pretty awesome. And we were, <laughs> we were a little worried, like, do kids these days even do that? Do they, like, know what that is? So we were like, hey, I wonder if we could actually provide that type of experience hands-on in a box so it's a huge mystery and then kids will get it in the mail. They'll be super excited and it'll also be educational and fun. Um, so we kind of, that was our idea and we kind of went from there. Do, do you have a Mentos and Diet Coke box? No, we don't, unfortunately. <laughs> That's a shame. I, the liability, I suppose, is a little bit ugly, but... Uh. Exactly. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I do assume you, you've seen the YouTube video of the guy jumping into the uh, with the suit, with the Mentos yeah. suit. Yes. <laughs> we put that in one of our newsletters earlier, in the, like a couple year, like a year yeah. or two ago. Did you see that? <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so he yeah. jumps into like a bathtub full of... Yeah, <laughs> People okay. do the craziest things. Yeah. I love they, it. They have a lot of spare time. Yeah. You know? <laughs> So, who are the subscribers for the service? Is it schools, uh, parents? Um. It's mostly just parents. Um, we've really focused on the more in-home experience. Again, like kids are really growing up with a lot of technology, the iPads, the TV. So, again, we, we really value that hands-on discovery. And we know that parents want to provide that as well. They want to be involved in their kids' life. They want to provide educational material. But we, they want to kind of stray away from the technology so it doesn't bombard them. So we really focus, again, on the in-home experience, our parents, and we've seen a lot of grandparents as well who mm -hmm. want to buy them for their like grandchildren, like nieces and nephews and things like that. So that's primarily what we've seen. And, and where are they located primarily? Or are they all over? They're all over. I think we're at 35 out of 50 states. Last or? time I checked, we were 38, and that was maybe a month ago. Yeah. 
That's there. tremendous. Yeah. yeah. And if you don't, you don't have to tell us, but if you don't mind my asking, how many subscribers you guys have? We average around somewhere in the 70s. Mm-hmm. So we've been pretty steady since the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and is now the time you're obviously you're, you're still a growing company yeah. in the marketing, getting the idea out there and getting name recognition. So mm-hmm. what are your marketing efforts or what do you have planned for marketing efforts? We're really going to focus on, um, all really, marketing through online. I mean, we're an e-commerce site and mm-hmm. what we've seen is that people are just finding us. They're just Googling us and finding us. And then Facebook has been our second biggest uh, avenue for subscribers. And so those are what we're going to be doing as well as we're trying to do more like local events and things like that. So we're trying to get more involved in the Connecticut area. And I'm from Massachusetts, so I'm kind of trying to do that mm-hmm. um, and do a little more, more grassroots levels. And then hopefully hopefully transition into schools that's kind of our big long-term plan yeah okay so so you so when it comes to schools you're thinking more of actually that your box is becoming like the programming for the schools or is or just kind of like a supplement kind of to to their curriculum it could be either or i think now there's a lot of conversation right now on the national level with those common core standards and with science, it's called the Next Generation Science Standards, but they're still being developed and some states are still figuring out if they want to go along with those standards. So something we're keeping an eye out are if those actually play out, what they are, how we can align ourselves to that. Obviously, we don't want to be, we want to try our best to, to be, to be aligned with with what's happening in schools, but also provide that supplement mm-hmm. to what might not be a part of the curriculum, at least not yet. Like our month, this box this month for July is polymers. And that's something I don't think I ever learned, at least not yeah. in mm-hmm. third through fifth grade. So trying to be creative and, and complement and supplement curriculums is what we're working on right now. So are polymers like plastics or no? That's- yeah, it's what makes up plastics <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> different strands of those okay so it, it's it's tough when you have to talk to podcast uh yeah podcast hosts who are less intelligent than you are so exactly, you have yeah. to uh bring it down to our level um, <laughs> there's a lot of things that go over my head so it's all right. you should get a genius box uh, <laughs> Wow. <laughs> hey, you know, like, that's the thing. Like, I'm not, like, I always tell people, like, I was never that science person. Like, I only liked chemistry in high school. I could, I did not care for, like, physics or biology. So the good thing about Genius Boxes is, like, we're developing these activities. I'm like, if I can do it, third, you know, a third to sixth grader can totally do it as Are well. Are you smarter than a third grader? That's basically <laughs> it. <laughs> I will have to say is that, you know, like with one of the projects that I've been working on is that we were in the fourth grade classrooms this year and talking with them and, and even going over what they're going over now. I was like, oh, man, like I was looking at their their um, some of their uh, their spreadsheets or, mm-hmm. you know, like, kind of like their um, work uh, worksheets. And I was just like, oh, man, I was like, I got to think about this for a second. <laughs> it was kind of funny. And then obviously I got it. But, you know, it takes a while. It, does. it really does. And like that's what we've really had to learn how to fine tune is how do you get like reach them at their mm-hmm. level because you know the language we use as 20 something year olds is very different than what a 10 year old's gonna be talking about and how can you structure your activities how do you structure your mm-hmm. language um that it all depends on how these, these kids are receiving it yeah are these designed to be done with a parent or is it something the kids can do on their own 
We ideally like to do it uh, so that parents aren't really involved. So it's for those like busy parents who are like, here, take this genius box, you know, spend your afternoon doing it. But we've also seen parents being involved. So it kind of just goes either way. Get, get out of in front of the TV and do something yeah. STEM related. STEM related and hands on. Excellent. Yeah. So what kind of feedback have you gotten so far? I was recently talking to a mother and her nine-year-old who was homeschooled, and they very much appreciated how we broke down the activities. We have an activity card that pretty much step-by-step explains how you do the activity and, and then ask some questions along the way, and they really enjoyed that. It wasn't too much information, it wasn't too confusing, and they were able to complete the activity and have like some satisfaction and knowing that they they did it. And then um, that was really great to hear because we've seen some other similar products out there which kind of have a lot of uh, background information and it seems very tedious and it kind of doesn't seem fun. So our goal is to make this as fun and non-like school as possible while you're still learning. So so that was great. I It was for our Earth Science box, which we put out in April along with like the Earth Day theme, and they loved it. Yeah. Great. So did you guys, you guys did a crowdfunding campaign, right? Yeah. How did that go? Like, what, what, why did you do it, and, you know, how did that go? So we did a crowdfunding campaign, I think, in the end of 2013, and that was... That was basically to kind of produce our beta boxes. Uh, we needed funding, and we wanted to see what the market really looked like. If people were actually going to buy this product, um, we wanted to see what, how this product would actually look in the hands we, and just get a lot of feedback. And that's what we did. did. Um, and we raised about $10,000. It went really well. We had about 157 customers. <laughs> Thanks, Kate. 177. 177 customers. <laughs> I always forget. Yep. We don't want to forget those 20. Yeah. Yes. We love you. <laughs> so have you, like, are you still in contact with a lot of the, I mean, are a lot of the people that backed the initial project, are they still subscribers? Oh, and the light just went off and it's back on. <laughs> <laughs> they are. Uh, we From the feedback that we've collected, we try to collect, like, how did you hear about us? And we've had a few people being like, oh, we've you know, known you since you guys did that crowdfunding campaign. And then we had a few founding family members who contributed a significant amount of money. And they, you know, every month they get our boxes. Yep. So that perk was if you submit X dollars, you'll get a box for life every month. So we have three of those at current yeah so great well, i think I'd n- not everybody did that right <laughs> <Because> <laughs> that'd be a pretty good deal you know it's funny the uh i guess the lights in this room that we're recording in are on a motion sensor so they went out entirely for a moment and i was thinking to myself hmm podcast in the dark <laughs> yeah right we interesting can keep going we could just keep that's going. right interesting social experiment <laughs> are people more free to talk in the dark <laughs> yeah so which uh platform did you use indiegogo indiegogo was there did you is there a reason why you went that route instead of Kickstarter? Yes. Yeah, so with Indiegogo, unlike Kickstarter, if you don't reach your goal, you will still get funded. You just have to pay a higher percentage of fees. Um, and I think Kickstarter is more strict with what they allow to be funded. They have certain like criteria and categories you need to fall within. I think we probably would have, but Indiegogo yeah. just seemed a little more lenient at the time, and it's still. 
was pretty popular and and we felt comfortable using that service. So. Well, well, it depends on the kind of company you are too, right? So if you're if you're seeking five or ten thousand dollars, but if you're seeking ten thousand, but five thousand would still make a very positive difference to making the co- allowing the company to move forward, then you want you'd like to have that flexibility, right? Yeah, and I think actually Kickstarter because. I know when, I mean, you did it, what, two years ago now, basically. And yeah. uh, they were, I know Kickstarter definitely was stricter, but then they were more lax. And that's when, like, the, the potato salad got funded and, like, the other stuff. I don't know if you saw that, but oh, I, right. I don't know how much money you raised. You raised a lot of money for the potato salad, right? <laughs> and he, he I actually, don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He actually, he actually uh, a guy, tens of thousands of dollars he raised for to, to make a potato salad. I, I'm still amazed at what gets funded on Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think so. I vaguely remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. T- tell us about the program at Northeastern. So after the Husky Startup Challenge that our Entrepreneur Club um, does every semester, uh, we have this awesome program called uh, IDEA, which is a venture student-run venture accelerator at Northeastern. And it was just a natural progression to go from the Startup Challenge and go into this accelerator and they were very very helpful right from the beginning we got prototype funding which is about like a thousand dollars to just get us started they had a lot of they have a lot of connections and they're really building themselves up so we got resources to everything from like legal stuff to just mentors um all these things you would think a you know a startup would need in the initial phases and yeah from that it really got us through the first like six months. Even till now, we still utilize them. Sure, um, they're great. They have a uh, gap funding, which we've applied for twice to this point. They were able to get us from that gap after we ran that crowdfunding campaign to launch. Uh, we were able to do some more testing and getting some customer feedback, and then we officially launched this past December as an actual subscription box service. So we're eight months in. Um, and then we recently went, we went back to them to receive some funding um, this past April. And that is helping us fill the gap for marketing and curriculum development. So they're, now, they're very helpful. And when you see funding, is this debt funding, equity funding, or just, just grant grants. money? Grants? Yeah. Very nice. So, uh, so then you guys went into the accelerator program, right? At Reset, because that's actually the first time I met you was at your pitch, I believe. I believe I saw your your first pitch at your flight night. Right. Yeah. So I am from Connecticut. I moved home after college. I was looking to connect with the startup scene here, see what resources were out there, and I stumbled upon Reset and saw that they had an accelerator program. I had a flexible job at the time, and I knew I could commit that one day a week, which was Fridays, and it was really wonderful. I had come from Boston where I had those resources, but then I moved home, and it was like a blank slate. I really didn't know what was around, so I was trying to connect and see what I could find, and it was great to have a support network of other entrepreneurs in similar situations um, to be able to brainstorm, share those ideas, and then also have the structured class where we really, really had to to, to actually do assignments and have homework and, and then get feedback from it. So that's in the spring of 2014, I took part in, in that. Mm-hmm. And Shivangi was still at school. So she was connected to the, the Boston kind of Northeastern ecosystem. And I was here in Connecticut, um, which was great to have those, both of those. 
So how was your your class? Because I know um, Reset has kind of changed their accelerator program, you know, every single, their, every new iteration. I mean, this past one that they just did was definitely different than when I was in it, you know. So what was the kind of the structure of their programming with you? So I know each week we had a different topic. We had homework. And then occasionally we would have to go test whatever our hypotheses were. And we had to get out of the building. We had to talk to customers. Mm-hmm. We had to get feedback. We were really trying to to make that minimum viable product and and I guess kind of like the lean startup method, but it wasn't quite that. It used some like ideas from that. But um So you didn't do like the canvas? You didn't do like the lean canvas? N- not like online. Did you okay. we didn't have like we drew one out physically okay. and then like referred back to it, but I don't think we ever filled one out okay. online and then referred to that. That's yeah, because we did. yeah, cause we had like a um, it was called the lean launch pad, I think like that, um, that we use and it was kinda like we updated every week. We put in our interviews, we put in so not quite. Like yeah. it was there, but not that wasn't like the main focal point. But I think they learn every every time mm-hmm. and I and I think we all took something from it. So it was, yeah. a good, it was a good way to learn about the resources in Connecticut for sure. So how would you compare those? If you were thinking about what you got out of Northeast and where you got out of Connecticut and, and you know, cer- certainly no favoritism here mm-hmm. towards, towards Connecticut. We're just trying to, you know, we want people to know what the differences are and what, what can be built out. So, But if you don't say anything good about Connecticut, we're just going to cut this out. <laughs> 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 I mean, like, I can talk about idea because I was there most of the time well i mean the the amazing thing about idea is that it's completely student run so you have your peers supporting you helping you grow as people as well as this business um and there's like amazing mentors and like really established people involved who are trying to make these connections for you but the fact that what i really loved about it was that peer aspect because we're all really in this together learning at the same time um, and that's their purpose is really t- their mission is to you know help us grow but they're also learning um, and you know just making those connections in the Boston area like we did a lot of events with them um, we met a lot of people and mm-hmm. that was really really helpful and it has been to this day and yeah that was sure I, really good. I think a lot of those same things were what I was experiencing here in Connecticut um I mean, it was a whole state, and I I really appreciate how small Connecticut is because at some point I did an event in Bridgeport and then up in Hartford and, like, in Stamford, and it's pretty accessible to get to these type of things. Um, But I think just meeting people and and being able to to get feedback from people or even people saying, hey, I know this person, you should talk to them, or, hey, I have a kid, like, we'd love to test your box. Mm -hmm. Like, I think just wherever you are, just being able to get in front of people and, and get that feedback and then constantly learn from, from our customers and, and people willing to help like that, no matter where we've been, like that's key for what yeah. we've been doing. Now, so. were you both in Idea and the Reset Accelerator at the same time? Or was it kind of like, or does it overlap? Or? So Idea's Accelerator is not as tip, as what you think a typical accelerator is. They have their own processes and... um and they've gone through a significant amount of changes in like the last two years. So it's really, for us, it was really like a resource. It's like, hey, we're doing these things. We just need to bounce back ideas. Um, we got, you know, like we got like branding help um, and all this art from Scout, which is also a student run design firm that's coming out of Northeastern. So it was just, we got to go and pick what resources we needed at that time. 
Um, it wasn't like a program, okay. like week by week, like reset is or some other accelerators. This was one that if what you need, if we we can just go to them and see. So it's like an ongoing kind of thing, right? They, yeah, just... they have workshops all different. Yeah, I think mostly on the semesters, though, not quite over, not the, over summer. the summer. So are those run as like co-ops? Because doesn't Northeastern do like a co-op model or, or like that's? Yeah. So the CEO um, does a whole. They have one year term, so okay. they might be in classes for you know one semester, but their co-op will end up being the other half of okay. their CEO term. Yeah. Okay. You are a Connecticut Benefit Corporation, right? Yes. All right. Yes, why Why go down that path? I mean, both of our backgrounds is very much in the whole social enterprise um, world, like in the nonprofit world. And, you know, again, when we did the Husky Startup Challenge, we wanted that social good product. So that is very much some of our values, and it's really ingrained into Genius Box. And we wanted to make sure that not only are we providing, like, an educational component, we're also also providing a social impact. So it was great because Kate, again, like, moved back home. She was, like, really creating these connections in the Connecticut area and it only made sense to become a benefit corporation. So we could really utilize what that status means to the state as well as for us and our values. So what's like the social benefit that you provide? On one level, uh, we donate a dollar per box sold to a partner organization, Many Mentors, which provides really innovative um, mentoring to underrepresented um, middle school and high school students to get them into STEM in the STEM fields. And they're such a fantastic organization. It's run by two amazing women of color. And Italy, you know, they're doing STEM. They're trying to target a population that we ourselves would like to target with our boxes. And they're doing mentoring, which we find really, really valuable. And for Genius Box, you know, it beyond just like this kid, kids getting these boxes and like having a good time and learning something, we really want to make sure we're reaching as many kids as possible. And at this point, you know, we're selling one box at a time at, you know, houses, but with many mentors, we're reaching a whole different, you know, age group. Because we've what we know is that um, you can get kids at this young age. If you get them passionate about it, that's great, but you got to sustain it yeah. over time. And that's what many mentors is doing at a different age group. Yeah. And then on top of that, just, you know, my human services coming out. What we love about Connecticut is that, you know, Boston is saturated with the whole startup scene. There's a lot of things going on, which is great. You know, it has its uses. But Connecticut is really growing. And to be part of that, at, you know, at this time in our, you know, startup phase and just like learning and trying to build a community is really fantastic. And again, to like give back in any way that we can and also like take what we can from it has been very, really, really valuable. Right, and Many Mentors is based in Connecticut, too, so. So you guys are in a pretty fascinating market. Uh, yeah. Subscription boxes, subscription services are all the rage. There's mm-hmm. there's a zillion of them out there. Um, I've seen them for, for, you know, clothing or even for random items. There's a there's one I saw recently, it was like a geek box. It was just random geek stuff sent to you in the mail for, you know, so much per month. Um, and yet you were in this a year or two ago, which I think was, was like really the beginning of it really hitting for subscription services of all types. Um, and so what's, what's your market like? Do you have competitors? Do you, you know, have you hit, hit any resistance out there? What's the? So we do have a few competitors when we actually were doing the market research when we were in the, um, startup challenge, we only had like one. Um, and because, you know, it, the whole business model become, 
got like really trendy. Mm-hmm. Um, we after after we won the Husky Starb Challenge, we got a really good response, and then we kind of got people calling asking more about the business and how we were going about it, and then we just started to see a few more people starting popping up, and we're like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> How does how did this happen? Um, so we do. We have a few competitors, and they very much know about us, and we very much know about them. Yeah, there was <laughs> there was one we even noticed. We had a logo before our current one. Actually, this is our third logo, but the one we initially launched with, one of our competitors physically had that same logo on their website and used it. And really? Just with yeah. their name on it? Y- it was y- just on the side. They weren't using it as their logo, but that it was, I mean, it was on their homepage. It was on their homepage. As yeah. like an image. And yeah. it was a pretty distinctive, wow. like, you're not just going to, to to find this. It wasn't our current light bulb, which can be a little more generic. Um, and then there was another competitor who, <laughs> we I had made like an infographic about STEM and I picked four words that described science, four words that described technology, four words that described engineering, and four that described math. And I put a nice infographic together and put it on our website. And then we saw a competitor using not the same infographic, but all the same words in the same order. And I had come up with that. And I was like, okay, (laughs) this looks very similar. So in case you're thinking about getting out into this field out there, then uh, it's a pretty competitive and... uh you know, very vicious area, it turns out. It, it really is. I mean, like, we, the way we structure our activities, um, we ha- we like to go for a narrative style. You know, we have, like, characters being like, oh, these two kids are doing X, Y, and Z for this month. Your, like, your challenge as Team Genius is to figure out the science behind this and, like, do whatever the, um, and, you know, mission is. Um, and we've, seen our competitors like trying to incorporate more of that narrative style into their boxes so again like people are we're all very very well aware of each other so most of your subscribers basically are your competitors (laughs) (laughs) i don't know who it is (laughs) yeah all right great and so where do you take it from here you've got a base of subscribers you obviously want to expand what's the next step yeah, so I know we mentioned um, working with schools a little yep. more, um, being able to either have like a supplement enrichment type program in schools and or working with the curriculum. Um, I think we have a lot of ways to expand with after school programs, even summer camps, homeschools, uh, the we've connected with the Connecticut Massachusetts Homeschool Networks and we're hoping to to work with them a bit and actually see what they would like to see from us that we might not be providing. Some feedback I did receive is that a parent would like more resources where they can further uh, explore a topic, and we've tried to do that a little bit through social media, but being able to come up with more of a concrete, hey, go here to learn more, read this book, check out this website, download this app, being able to provide that type of supplemental information, uh, I think would be a really awesome added value for what we're doing. And it's very easy to do just cultivating the internet and yeah. and figuring out how to deliver that best. So more of like a social component, like above and beyond. Is that, is that kind of what they're? Yeah. Just being able to learn more. Yep. And, and I think we, we call our subscribers team genius and we are trying to figure out how we can cultivate 
Team Genius members to submit, like, user-submitted content of them doing some activities, um, whether it's video or, or a photo of it. And I think that would be really great if we could figure out um, how to get that mm-hmm. going on the online platform. Because, yes, everyone does learn individually and experiencing these individually, but then there's still power in being able to say, oh, yeah, this is how I did the activity. Oh, this is what I did. This is how I came up with it um, through that digital aspect. So, so I've got a, a couple more questions about um, <clears throat> about some stuff on the more business side. The uh, with the competitors that you have, is your pricing the same? Do they use different pricing models? It's relatively the same. Um, uh, one of our yeah, we're pretty much it would be all guarantee you know shipping within our costs. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the boxes might be a little cheaper. Some of them are a little ex- more a little bit more expensive. But what they're providing and what we're providing, it's all. All the same price. So are, are some of them bigger? Because I know, like you guys have like a kind of like a, a weight, and they have to kind of stay within and everything. That are there's bigger, like. Well, I wouldn't say necessarily bigger. I think uh, some of them are more um, active, not activity, um, print heavy. Okay. So for us, like we have three activity cards and an intro card, and like the, that's the way how we structure it. For one of our competitors, it's like a lab notebook, you know, and it's like really school yeah. style um, setting. Uh, it's bigger, so that's more of their focus. And materials wise, again, it varies between all the activities. And then one of our competitors, it's very, um, they're very much about kind of. I don't know how to say this without giving things away. Sure. Uh, but like, one activity that you then explore without the yes. step-by-step, but you have more of an abstract way of, of coming up with it, which yeah. some people might like, other people might find um, difficult, or, or um, I don't know, they might give up. So, yeah. so we want, we, the way we structure our activities is we do have like an introduction activity that's quite simple. It explains the, the topic, and then we build a difficulty um, as the box goes, so so we really try to to be inclusive of of kids and how they might not have the the largest attention span, or they might just want that instant gratification. But then they then giving the challenges on top of those, so we mix up the types of activities we provide. Nice. So I think there are a lot of entrepreneurs that are where you are, which by which I mean recently graduated college or going to graduate college. Uh, and then, um, and then, you know, they work with a partner or two and they're trying to figure out A, how to keep the company going and B, what is it I really want to do with the rest of my life? You know, do, do I want to go on for more schooling? Do I want to take a job? Do I want to continue with this business and so on? What's it like for the two of you? How, how have you, what are some difficulties you faced and how have you overcome them so far? Well, I mean, I was a student for the last two years, so my focus was, had to, my n- number one priority had to be school because mm-hmm. you know like I was in college I put so much <laughs> debt into this so <laughs> like I needed to graduate and have a degree and then you know like I was always working and I was doing genius box um and it's just and you 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 know you grow when I was 20 and I'm 22 now and you grow so much in those years so it was just really understanding my own capacity and what I was capable with and understanding like both my financial situation Mm -hmm. as well as like my philosophical existential kind of stuff so it's just balancing all of that and i think that has been it's been tricky but that's what you gotta you gotta do but that was for me personally kate's a little yeah 
Yeah, sure. So I, this took place, we, we entered that startup competition my senior year, the second semester, so in the spring, and I graduated having this venture idea kind of percolating. We'd come in second place with that startup challenge and had gotten a lot, a lot of feedback and, and people interested in seeing our idea continue. And I graduated. I had some job prospects that didn't pan out. I was looking for a job. I ended up being able to, I, I had a job that wasn't really in my field, but it was something, but it provided me some flexibility to be able to do this and take it forward and then start it through the, the crowdfunding campaign and then get the feedback. And then more recently, I'm very lucky to have a job in, in a field I really enjoy um, that is flexible, that um, I, I get a steady paycheck, and I'm also able to do this. So it's, I, I'm pretty lucky with that. And I, and um, yeah. <laughs> well, you two must have a lot of faith in each other. I mean, actually being able to, you know, we're one person or the other person at various times wasn't able to de- dedicate full time to this. Um, and yet it's still a full time consuming job. I mean, you, you're effectively working an extra job and you're marketing and trying to get out there. I assume that if revenues get to a certain point, one or both of you would do this full time. Um, you know, if there's any angel investors listening, <laughs> you know, so, so we're always open to that. So how did you talk, talk about the development of that trust though? I think one of the things that's very important for companies is that as companies form, people fall off all along the way. And, and, the idea of, of having a partner and being able to continue to work with them over time, especially when your lives are in such flux, it's not easy. Well, I think we, I'm not sure about you, but I think looking at this, it's been a great learning experience no matter where we are in the process of, of it. Like I know, um, even if it wasn't a steady paycheck because we, it's not, um, we still were able to be creative or creating something, creating a business, being able to reach kids that might not think that they are science or math kids, but everyone is. Um, so I don't think there was ever, there's always a reason, like what we're doing is, is pretty powerful in itself. And we've been able to be creative through it and utilize our skills, even if it's not a quote unquote job. (laughs) So definitely. I mean, I mean, it's also tough when you're in two different States, but you, you just have to like learn how to make it work. Um, yeah. Yeah. And get creative in how you make it work. So was it, I mean, I assume you guys were friends beforehand, right? Yeah. So you're, yeah, you're yeah. friends beforehand, then you became business partners. So is yeah. there, there's obviously that kind of, right? We're business partners in this conversation. We're friends in this conversation. Like, is that, I mean, is that, have you had to kind of separate it or is it more or less been a kind of a yeah. fluid kind of a partnership? Uh, <laughs> I don't think we've had to separate it, you know, like yeah. it's just, it is what it is. You kind of just go with it. I mean, yeah, there's like tough decisions you have to make and you have to like stand your own ground and be like, this is like this business decision we have to make mm-hmm. regardless of how, you know, we might have different conflicting feelings about it, but this is what's best for the business personal things mm-hmm. aside. But again, like you have to be creative in how you make it work. And again, like you have to communicate. Mm-hmm. So that's really, really important. But we both know what's going on in each other's lives. You should see us during our packing days. <laughs> <laughs> and I think with technology, it makes it so much easier. We go- use Google Docs. 
Yeah. Obviously, there's Skype, Google Hangouts. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't necessarily need to be in the same place, except for when we're physically assembling the boxes. Yeah. <laughs> Once a month, we do that. Yeah. So, Shivangi comes down to Connecticut, and we pack at my parents' house, which is our, our lovely storage space in our, our home office. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you had... If each of you had a piece of advice that you could pass on to other people that are starting a business and that have been in situations similar to yours, what would it be? There's so much <laughs> I would tell people. Um, just go for it. Honestly, if we didn't do this, I think I'd be so much more regretful, like Definitely. not knowing what would have happened. Like we had this idea. We were we looked for those resources. They're out there, especially in the startup community. I'm sure there's different states universities, neighborhoods, anything that there's, and just talk to people. I mean, we've gotten so much feedback just from people willing to give us their opinion. And I think that's also interesting. You have to figure out what advice you want to take or should take, but it's just good hearing it all, hearing different perspectives. That was a lot of different thoughts right there, but I'm, the resources are out there. Like if you, if you can find them and, and get connected to them or ask someone who's been there, do it but still be really realistic about capacity <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's like that too <laughs> that like you know there's like i love that just like just go for it but also understanding where you're at um and if you have business partners like just understand what you can what you're capable of mm-hmm. great and so <clears throat> if someone wanted to order a genius box where would they go you can go to our website at www.geniusbox.me, and you can order a six-month, three-month, or a monthly subscription, but we definitely say six months because <laughs> you're going to get a better deal. Um, yeah, you can get one there. And you're on Facebook? We are on Facebook at um, Genius Box for Kids. The number four. Four, yeah, the number <laughs> four. You can also find us on Twitter at Genius Box for Kids, and we're on Instagram at Genius Box for Kids. Right, and Pinterest. And Pinterest. <laughs> For more activities. Yeah. Actually, can, can I ask you, how, how have you seen Pinterest? Underutilized. Yeah. I think it's pretty awesome. But have you, cause, I mean, because I actually just got the app. Like, cause uh. my girlfriend and I have been, like, trying to find recipes to, you know. And Pinterest mm-hmm. seems to be, I mean, it seems to be a very good platform. And they changed it up, like, remarkably yeah. since I was on there, like, three years ago. You can find everything. Like, yeah. we get, like, activity ideas and inspiration mm-hmm. via Pinterest. And it's really... Inspiration. F- yeah. It's inspiration. very... Because it's very colorful and it's very... Like, you can find things that are very kid-friendly and it kind of spurs idea and then you can... Have yeah. you gotten good, like, traffic from there? We've gotten some traffic. I think there's more we can do with it. Um, we do have a board for each month of each of our topics. So we try to put supplemental activities that you can explore that aren't in our box but go along with the topic um but i think there's more we can do yeah definitely sure it's pretty cool so go check out their pinterest page yes Yes. (laughs) absolutely well kate shivangi thank you very much for joining us we appreciate it And that was Genius Box. Uh, it was great to talk to Kate and Shivangi. Uh, what did you guys think? Yeah, it, it was great. I mean, it, it's actually interesting because the uh, first time I met Kate was, I think it was her first time ever stepping into Reset. And it was like one of those days where uh, Reset, we were, we, we'd done a few times where we walked over to like the Capitol building or something. 
And I uh, I met her. It was her first time, and she was like, "Oh, we're going for a walk." <laughs> and <laughs> it ended up actually raining, so we all got caught in the rain and everything. Um, but uh, but from the beginning, I mean, I always thought the idea was very interesting. Um, it always it always goes back to that thing where. Um, you always hear like older people be like the games that we used to have, you know, like I mean, or the, or the, or the stuff that we used to play with is that like we used to play with real chemistry sets and the erector sets could really build buildings, you know. <laughs> and so, so it almost goes back to like thinking about what are like the cool kind of activities games that kids get nowadays. Um, and if you make it, um, you know, kind of science related, I definitely think you can. Um, you know, kind of spark some, spark something within, within a well, child. I mean, you know, personally, I've always been a hands-on learner and I felt like disconnected in school, learning about the sciences and everything like that. Like I couldn't grasp, but it wasn't something I could actually touch mm-hmm. and hold to some degree. And I think, you know, if I had something like this as a kid, well, there's a possibility I could have lived out my dream as being an astronaut instead of sitting here with you. Well, well, I was going to say the the hands-on learner <laughs> yeah. who wanted to do things in science lab now owns a mobile app company. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Produces nothing tangible whatsoever. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. This is true. You you had a dream and you really worked hard for it, you know? Yeah. You know, really, there, really there tried to become an astronaut. There is still hope I could become an astronaut. <laughs> yeah, there, there's hope to I, get really rich and buy your way out there. It's been done before. <laughs> it has. I really uh, like Genius Box from two different perspectives. For, first of all is that it's in the subscription service, box service, which is extremely popular these days. A quick search on the internet will show you easily dozens of subscription service companies. Some provide clothing, some provide shave materials, there's Harry Shave and Dollar Shave. Uh, Alcohol, cigars. I mean, there's it, 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 there's so box. many yeah, niche box, you know? it's, it's the jelly of the month club taken to the extreme, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. we, we've taken the beer concept. Of the month. It's a beer of the month, you know. And, and everybody and everybody uses it for everything nowadays. And you can get bespoke post or something has bespoke created products every month. Trunk there's, box is the uh, or trunk club or something like that is the same trunk thing. Trunk club, with, yeah, yeah. It's the, the the basically you the get a trunk, you, yeah, you get a trunk full of clothes every month. Yep. Yeah, uh, I think uh, was it a birch box creates a. Uh, like shaving cream and different types of, uh, uh, yeah. So like birch box is, yeah, <laughs> birch box is like the big, the first big one that, that I remember. And that well, was one where they yeah. got like, there, there was an interesting model cause I think they got all the samples for free. Yeah. And then they sold, resold them. And then they also, you can also buy like non subscription stuff on their website. So it was like yeah. one of those things where yeah, and they were in. like one of the first big ones and BarkBox came along. And which basically with every like BirchBox you get, you get points which go back to the BirchBox store. So it's all uh, kind of this endless. Yeah, I've actually never just, bought it. <laughs> I used it once and they send you a lot of random stuff. So basically, like how it works is you go on, you say, okay, I want face wash, I want shaving cream, I have a beard, blah, 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 yeah. which I obviously don't and I can't grow one if I. <laughs> wanted to well, this is the king we're of on the same page yeah we're on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah so basically they sent me like a phone case like five hair gels which i don't use and like four face washes and i was like yeah okay skip but you know listen they're doing great <laughs> so they're doing yeah. something right yeah and, and so i love that genius boxes in this area i also love that they're teaching children uh you know boys and girls about stem areas that, you know, I mean, we, we need, it's, it's a well acknowledged need in this country to have more people involved in the sciences, um, to have people, uh, doing better in science classes. And they're doing it in a fun way that parents can help their children with. And I think that's fantastic. And they work very hard at creating these, uh, materials every month to have fun projects that can be done in the house with, uh, minimal amounts of effort in addition to what's in the box. To, uh, to teach these things. And so much so that uh, after talking with them, I, I was 
strongly considering sending a uh, sending a box to my niece who's mm-hmm. right in that target age range. Yeah, it's it's like they're it's it's interesting because um, obviously a lot of the kids probably aren't going to be buying it, so they have a you know their customer segment is definitely the grandparents, the parents, even the school systems, yep. you know, kind of thing. So um, they definitely have the. It's clear that they have validated some of the market. You know, their their customer segment. You know, they have seventy, um, you know, returning people right now, and that came from their um, Indiegogo. But um, but once they once they validate a few more kind of uh, streams, I think it's going to be real good. Um, and you know, they're uh, the other interesting thing about from an investor standpoint or from like a money kind of making standpoint when it comes to subscription box services is that. I, you know, I heard this on Gary Vaynerchuk's uh, podcast because uh, he, as an investor, he loves subscription box mm-hmm. services. He loves it. You know, like he'll, he'll listen to almost any one of them. Um, but he was saying that even when people cancel, like they still go an extra two or three months or six months before they even cancel the subscription sure. because they either forget about it or even if they are going to cancel, they're like, you know what, I'll try it a couple more months. It's and like it's just gym. like, it's just, yeah, it's, it's a gym like membership. A gym club membership. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, we've, we've all had one, but you know, I, I, I think I had one going for about two years after I stopped <laughs> using it before I canceled it. Yeah. So, so it's like one of those things where I think that um, it's, it's, you know, having money coming in every month and knowing exactly how much money you're, you, you have and what you have to produce. I mean, that it's always good for, you know, a business model. So, yeah, it's a great business model. It's also interesting that they had a competition right in right in their area. I, I yeah. mean, you, you know, most people worry about competition, but in many ways, that's a good thing, right? Yep. If you if you have competition, you generally know you're onto something. Mm-hmm. There's a concept in there, and, and none of the companies in that area have actually hit the home run. I, I believe you called it earlier, yeah. so it's a. Uh, it's very much it's it's very much an open game in genius boxes right there in the middle and they're of it. and they're definitely um you know kind of what they kind of mentioned in the podcast was that they're they're focusing on different aspects of it right one's a little bit more kind of content heavy one's smaller one's bigger um so i think it's it's kind of interesting is that if they if they stay you know ahead of the game they they look at these different competitors and they say well they're running this experiment basically or that experiment and they're getting this much feedback and yada, yada, yada. Um, and so they, they also said maybe some of their competitors are actually buying their box, which is what it is. You know, they're paying for it. So they're, they're a paying customer. But, um, so, so we'll see what happens with that. But, um, it definitely is clear, uh, you know, since Kate and Shivangi, you know, Shivangi was up in Boston and Kate was down here. Um, Kate gets around. I mean, she, she is around the, the startup scene. She is pitching. She is talking to people. Um, you, you've seen her at numerous events. Um, she does, definitely doesn't have any fear about getting up there and talking. Um, and, and, and her product has definitely pivoted and, and kind of moved, moved along. Um, and that's always refreshing to see, right? You see him, you saw him a year and a half ago. And now you see him here with, with customers and actually, you know, getting money every month. It's always refreshing to, to see that. So I really like their idea about community building and, and taking this from not just being a box that you get every yep. month, but actually being engaged with the other the other folks that are part of uh, mm-hmm. subscribers to to Genius Box, and I think also more than anything that could tie in and really build up user acquisition. Because hey, if I'm one of these little kids that just uh, you know completed one of these little projects, well, I could post it online and share it, and uh, my friends can see it, uh, or or vice versa, where the parents are sharing it. I think there's a huge opportunity for some virality there. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you guys. When I was a kid, they used to sell big chemistry sets, like you do, like home yeah. chemistry. Yeah. Um, and to me, this is actually so much better because it's not just fiddling around with a big kit um, and not quite knowing what you're doing. They're guided lesson plans, and they're interactive, and they're engaging, and they switch from topic from month to month. It's, it seems like a great model, and I think you're right about the community building. I frankly wish them the best of luck. 
Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I assume we're going to see some more good things out of those two ladies. So it's going to be exciting to see. Yep. Great. Well, thanks everybody. I hope you enjoyed the podcast this week, and we look forward to talking to you next week. Well, as always, stay involved. You've just listened to the CT Startup Podcast. You can find us on iTunes or check out our webpage at ctstartup.com where you can find all our social media links. And please, please leave us your feedback. Special thanks to our production team, Kate Rupart, Dylan Gilliatt, and Evan Dobis, as well as our equipment and marketing sponsor, Mirtha Kalina, LLP. 